Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. It's Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. When you found it, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Uh, before we start today's message, let's start with a prayer. Gracious God, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. So make us hungry for this heavenly food, that it may nourish us today in ways of eternal life, through Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven. Amen. Amen. So today we have three points that we want to go through relatively quickly. Uh, it's righteousness, giving, and secrecy. Righteousness, giving, and secrecy. And when the passage was read, it starts off by saying, beware of practicing your righteousness. Beware of practicing your righteousness. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be righteous or practice your righteousness? And there are three main things that people back in Jesus' time did to practice piety. Or if you're pious, or if you're a religious person, there were three things, there were three big things that people did. Well, number one was giving, number two was prayer, and number three was fasting. So the three big things that all religious people did, they, were, they gave, they prayed, and they fasted. But when Jesus takes on these three big topics, he takes it on in another way, which must have heard almost foreign to the people listening. But then after hearing it, you will see, wow, this is really the truth. This is how we should give, we should pray, and we should fast. And so he starts off by giving the warning. And what does it mean when Jesus warns us about the practicing of righteousness. So we split it up into three passages that we're going to preach on, we meaning myself and Pastor Paul. And in a sense, we can actually take the whole passage of chapter 6, verses 1 through 24 as one passage. But we're going to split it into three, but they are also one, uh, the giving, the praying, and the fasting. And so if you look at it this way, what does it mean when Jesus warns us about the practicing of righteousness and is that even a word that you're familiar with or that you know so it's not long after you start attending church whether it's cgs or any other church if you grew up in youth group uh pilgrim or something to that effect it's not long after you start attending church that we are introduced to the priorities of church it's not long after you start attending church that you're introduced to the priorities of the christian community and so what are they Make sure you do your QT or devotional time. Bible reading and prayer. That's what uh, we mean by QT or quiet time. It means Bible reading and prayer. Number two, go to church. 
Number three, don't smoke. Number four, don't drink too much, and etc. But I want to share with you what Jesus is sharing with the people that are listening is that biblical righteousness goes far beyond these things. Biblical righteousness goes way beyond these things. But patterns set and cultures start forming before you even know it. You start speaking Christianese and you don't even know exactly what you're saying. Like, what does it really mean when you come back and say, man, this retreat was a blessing or Sunday service today was such a blessing. I feel so blessed today. And then some people that are hearing this might be thinking, wait, what's so wrong about that? That's exactly how I speak. And uh, we don't even realize it, but slowly we start, what happens is we start compartmentalizing how we act outside church and inside church. I don't know many people who go up to their coworkers and when they go, oh, when they start talking about their weekend, how was your weekend? You go to your coworker, man, I went to this retreat and it was such a blessing. But we start compartmentalizing. And even the phrase church, specifically meaning the gathering of the people that speak this same jargon. Another example is let's have fellowship. Let's have fellowship. You would not say that to anybody outside of the people who speak this jargon, meaning people right next to you. Let's have fellowship. Uh, what, if you don't know what that means, um, that means you're probably new to CGS or new to church. And what people really mean when they say let's have fellowship, it means let's play board games or let's go out and talk. Um, but this is a Christianese, um, it's more than just jargon. And if you continue to think about it, is it a meaningful form of communication? Is it a meaningful form of communication? But then sure enough, if you don't really think about it and you just start speaking it, uh, it's just only a matter of months. Even if you're not familiar with it, it's only a matter of months before you start sprinkling every sentence with spiritual platitudes. In our passage today, Jesus wants to talk uh, to us about more than just platitudes because he wants more than just platitudes. He wants us to grow in faith and obedience. It's God's desire that we not only drink milk, but we start craving and start eating meat, the meat of the word. So what does the word, that's the question that we should start asking. What is the word saying? When it comes to being blessed, sorry about today's um, catechism. I, 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 uh, I think it didn't go through, but I tried to change all the old English to modern English. So today we read hath. Uh, what, does, what, uh, what does God hath or something like that? It just has. But um, I translated it. And I'll just make sure it goes through next time. But uh, we, we, we even see the old English way of the word blessed, right? Oh, I'm blessed, right? And so we, we talk uh, King James in these. But um, what does the word mean when it comes to being blessed or blessed? There's nothing wrong with saying blessed, but what does the word say? What does the Bible say about fellowship? And are we then using these words, blessed, fellowship, in line with the Bible's definition, definition. And is it the same way that Jesus uses it? We may not necessarily use the word righteous 
as often as we use the word blessed or blessed or fellowship, but in our understanding, when I say the word righteousness or righteous, what does that mean? Is it the same definition that Jesus has? Is it the same understanding when Jesus commands us to be righteous? Is it the righteousness as it pertains to being, uh, as it pertains to the quality of a Christian? And is it the same understanding that Jesus has? Is it? So I do believe that the people of 2,000 years ago had the same problem we do today. What we are doing is we're just simply echoing the Christian or Judaic subculture to one another. You know, you really want to be a good Jew or you really want to be a good Christian. You got to do these things. You got to give, you got to pray, you got to fast. And today we also have a subcultural language in the church. And then a lot of times what we see is because we only speak that language without really thinking about what we're saying, we lose our search for true godliness. Don't you see that this is a, not just a small error, it's a grievous error. It's a huge error. Because what have we done when we do this? We confuse spirituality with righteousness. We're confusing spirituality with righteousness. And now if I ask, if I ask someone, what's the difference between spirituality and righteousness? You might even be like, what? But what is the difference? What's the big error? The error and the difference is to confuse the means with the end. It's to confuse the means with the end. Spirituality becomes this cheap substitute for godliness and righteousness, but it is not. We must go beyond the means to the goal. And the means is not the end, just as spirituality is not righteousness. This is what R.C. Sproul writes. Spiritual disciplines are vitally necessary to achieve righteousness. Bible study, prayer, church attendance, evangelism are necessary for church growth or Christian growth. But they cannot be the final goal. I cannot achieve righteousness without spirituality, but it is possible to be spiritual at least on the surface, without attaining righteousness. And we see that taking place right now as Jesus is speaking to the people in front of him. How do we know that we're not merely being spiritual? I mean, how do we know that we're just merely being spiritual, excuse me, and not righteous? How do we know that? It's Jesus Jesus is how we know. Jesus teaches us, and he's teaching us right now how to give, how to pray, and how to fast. That's why it's important we keep our eyes open. We might think like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's not about this. It's not about giving or praying or fasting. It is. It is. But they are spiritual disciplines that lead to righteousness, but they are not righteousness. That's why we can't confuse the two. That's why he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. This first verse should be a theme verse that we remember all throughout the next 24 verses. Righteousness has nothing to do with what you do and how other people see you. 
and everything to do with what you do and how God sees you. Let me put it another way. Righteousness is then doing the right thing in God's sight. Righteousness is doing the right thing in God's sight. I'm going to move on to the next point, giving. And uh, in verse 2, Jesus continues by saying, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So when we start in this beginning portion, when you give, he goes, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, but in this portion, when you give, giving to the needy is not an option. Giving to the needy was never an option in the Old Testament. It's not an option for Jewish people. It's not an option for Christians now. Almsgiving or charitable giving was a religious duty in Judaism. But it is also a duty now. Some people might think, oh, that's Old Testament law. You know, this is old. It's not even fun to talk about. I liked it, Pastor Gene, when you talked about like divorce and lust, and this is just giving. Uh, and I think that's where it's most dangerous. When we talk about these, like, what we think is a grievous sin, like if we lust or if we, you know, or if we have revenge, an eye for an eye, all these things that we talked about, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah those are big things. When we talk about giving, it's like, eh, it's not that big of a thing. But I assure you, it's a huge, huge thing. It's ginormous, if I may use that word. It's a huge thing because it's an absolute necessity for the follower of God. It's not if you give to the needy, it's when. Jesus not only expected his disciples to give to the poor, he knew that giving was a given when it came to God's people. Giving was a given when it came to God's people. And so when we think of giving, what do we think of? Normally, what would what normal person think of if you came to church? It's, it's the thing that you saw up there. You would think of tithes and offerings. A lot of times, when we think of giving, when religious people think of giving, you would think of tithes and offerings. And as disciples of Jesus Christ, I want to get into this really quickly, is do we have to give tithes? As disciples of Jesus Christ, now in the New Testament covenant, now in the Messianic covenant, now not, if, you know, if you know the language or the lingo, I'm using it, not the Mosaic Covenant. In the Messianic Covenant, in the covenant that Jesus Christ has established, do we have to give tithes? And the second question is, specifically to the church, do we have to give to the church? And before you answer that in your heart, because most people already have an answer, let's figure out what God means when he instructed his people to give their tithes. So tithing and giving we're very much intertwined in the Old Testament, and we should explore it a little bit. I'm going to give you some verses that you could write for a future. Um, you can go home and study it yourself, but it's, it's actually pretty fascinating. And if Pastor Paul was here, I would ask him, uh, what's the percentage of a tithe, you know? Um, what's the actual percentage when we give tithe? And I think there's some even debate now. Is it 10%? What's the other do you guys know what the other one is? Some people think it's what? Some people think it's 30%. Uh, somebody came together and uh, they calculated numbers 18, uh, Deuteronomy 14, and they calculate all the ties that God requires. And then he put out in his, uh, in his writings and teachings, it's actually 23%. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I'm, I'm just going to say this really 
just flatly, tithing is 10%. That's literally what tithing means. Tithe means 10%. So when we call, talk about tithing, it's 10%. But there are three different types of tithes that the Bible teaches. And number one is from Numbers 18, verses 21 to 24. Number two is Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22 to 27. And number three is Deuteronomy chapter 14, 28, 29. So Numbers 18, Deuteronomy 14, talk about tithing. And the big one that we see is from Numbers 18. It's what, the, it's what Abraham did in Genesis. It's what uh, the Lord continues to talk about. But tithes went to the Levites. Levites were a tribe of Israel. And we, we did this uh, when we went through Exodus. There are 12 tribes. And to every single tribe, God gave a land. Or God gave a portion or an inheritance. Except one tribe. And that was Levites. And then this is what he was saying in Numbers 18. To Levites, Levites, excuse me, I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance. So he didn't give... Uh, a piece of land for the Levites. The Levites actually lived in every single part of Israel. Excuse me. And um, the tithes went to them. And so they would take care of uh, any kind of worship service or order. They would take care of the teaching or the preaching, making sure the scrolls are okay. They, they would do all this, and the tithes entirely would go to them. If you actually look at Deuteronomy 18, um, God commands his people to even give the first fruits of crops or whatever they had or cattle to the Levites. So not just the tithes, but even the first fruits in Deuteronomy 18. But the second one is really interesting. We see in Deuteronomy 14, God commands his people to get a tithe for the feasts. Or when you travel, when you do a pilgrimage, there should be something that you save up uh, tithe-wise as you travel. And the third one is a tithe for the poor. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 14, uh, 28-29. And so every three years there will be a tithe that will be taken. It's actually... Pretty fascinating when you think about it and when you do a quick study. And today is not really about tithing, but I just want to give you this so that we understand what the principle of tithe was. The principle of the tithe was to, number one, support the Levites and the priests. Number two, so you can go on your pilgrimage or really support um, the temple activity or the church or whatever you want to call it. And number three was to give to the poor. Uh, but even when they give to the poor in Deuteronomy chapter 14, it says, don't neglect the Levite. Don't make him poor. And so tithing and giving are important concepts for the Christian or the Bible-believing person because it was a part of stewardship. It was a part of stewardship. Humankind's stewardship began in the Garden of Eden. And God gave Adam and Eve full dominion over the entire creation. They weren't given ownership. They were given a responsibility to manage. And they ensured that the garden was tilled, cultivated. They ensured that the garden wasn't abused or exploited and that the goods that God gave them didn't get uh, spoiled or wasted. So when you think about it, how are tithing, how is offering connected to stewardship in your household or in your bank account whatever you have uh, in your finances, if you spend $50 on clothes, that's $50 you don't have for anything else. Does that make sense? It doesn't matter who you are. Even if you're a 
billionaire, you still have a limited resource. Uh, every time you use a resource, every time you make a decision, that reveals what kind of steward you are. So every time you use something, that's where God says, I'm going to hold you accountable. And he held Adam and Eve accountable for how they took care of the garden. So God is interested in how we manage our ministries, how we manage our personal lives, how we manage our homes, every aspect of life. Because God is the one who created everything. And he is saying, now you can steward and make sure that you're managing and allocating your resources the way I want you to. So at the center of all this stewardship is the tithe, which appears in the Old Testament. Tithe means tenth, right? And it's a basic principle that every person was to return one-tenth of their increase to the Lord annually. And so the beauty of, of tithing was that it didn't matter of what social or ec economic class you were in. Um, it didn't matter if you were involved in what kind of whatever politics. It, it prohibited unequal taxes in the form where you were just taxed or t you were made, made sure that you were giving one-tenth of what you had. So if you had $10,000 as your income, how much would you give? $1,000. If you made $1 million, how much would you give? $100,000, right? And so the rich person returns far more money, but it's the same percentage uh, than the poor person. So trouble, trouble starts developing when people hold out on their tithes, thinking that has nothing to do with stewardship. But God starts teaching his people, you're not obeying God's law. Malachi chapter 3 is a very famous passage on tithing. And he says, will you rob God? yet you're robbing me. And then when people, he, he knew that people asked, how am I robbing God? Uh, and he goes, in your tithes and contributions. And then he goes, you're cursed with a curse for you're robbing me, the whole nation. So there is something that we must understand. When we're giving, we understand that this is something that we are doing because God has given us dominion and we must steward what we have well. And that's why the Jewish people understood that. And they understood that they must be able to give and they must be able to give in proportion to what God had commanded them. But even then, they were doing it wrong. Why is that? Why is it that we cannot add two words together? We cannot add righteousness and we cannot add giving together. It's just completely separate concepts to us. But if I were to look into how your bank account is used, or if I looked at your credit card statement, or if I looked at your checking account, or if I looked at your wallet and see exactly what you use for what transaction, how many of us would really be comfortable with sharing that and saying, wow, I really used it well. And, th and yet, this is what God is saying. Righteousness and giving should go together. And this is where we go to our third and last point. It's secrecy. According to Jesus, what we do in secret matters the most. Jesus isn't suggesting that outward is unimportant. It's very far from it. Because in James 2, it says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? So the answer is obviously no. But do you, can you have outward works 
without any inward reality. And this is something that we are to ask ourselves. Because if you don't have any inward reality, then your religion is a pretense. It's fake. It's not real. And six times on this Sermon on the Mount, he's giving examples from uh, verses 1 to 24, in secret, in secret. And so you give in secret, and your father, who sees that you're giving in secret, will reward you. You pray in secret, and your father, who sees you praying in secret, will reward you. You fast in secret, and your father, who sees you fasting in secret, will reward you. So what's the whole point of secrecy? Why is it so important? He is addressing authenticity. How genuine is your giving? How genuine is your fasting? How genuine is your praying? It's a question of authenticity. Is your relationship with the Lord Jesus genuine? Or is it just Piety? Is it just an outward show? Because when you go away, you say something completely different. And I talked about hypocrisy really quickly the other day. But when you go to school or when you go to work, does your language change? And so what we need to understand is, are we really demonstrating the inner reality of what God has done for us in our lives? And if we're not demonstrating that, and it's only an outward show, is it really genuine? So it doesn't matter if you do these spiritual disciplines. It doesn't matter if you give. It doesn't matter if you pray. It doesn't matter if you fast. Hear me out. It doesn't matter if it's not genuine. If it's not genuine. And how do we make sure that it is genuine? Because if you don't do it in a genuine manner and God rejects it, What's the point? What's the point? He's saying you already got your reward. If you don't do it in a genuine manner, then you already got your reward because you did it for something else. When you give, you made sure that someone else saw it in this passage. When you gave, you made sure you sounded a trumpet. Um, when you do something really important, you have, to, you have to put it on social media. That I think it, if, he, if Jesus were preaching in today's uh, you know, society, he would say that because people didn't really sound a trumpet when they gave. He's just making this hyperbole. He's making um, an extra statement. Just people get this idea, like who, who really would give to the poor and start sounding a trumpet. But what's interesting is we literally do that today. When we do something nice, we have to make sure we take a picture. We have to make sure it's in our social media outlets. You know, we have to make sure people see it. And But God is saying that if that's the case, then you already got your reward because you got your kudos or, wow, you're such a good person from the people that are seeing your posts and pressing the like button or the heart button or whatever button there is. And there is a manner that we must give that understands more than self-service, it's about self-sacrifice. More than self-indulgence, it's about self-discipline. More than self-promotion, it's about self-denial, which is completely opposite of what our world teaches us is good. We, we, we believe it's about self-service. It's about self-indulgence. It's about self-promotion. But God teaches us it's not. And so when I do this, 
there's something that starts to deteriorate in my character and I start becoming this really fake person. Uh, imagine, we played this out in real life. Imagine this is how I actually saw the world and this is what I did for everything. Imagine showing love for your spouse or your family member just so that people can see it, you know? So um, my wife had a birthday this past week and imagine I took her out made sure people understood. Uh, after, after I took her out, a lot of people were curious, oh, what did you do for Esther's birthday? Did you do anything? And of course, I'd respond really nicely. It's none of your business. No, I didn't say that. Uh, I would respond nicely. Oh, these are the things that I did. You know, did this, did that. But imagine that was my sole reason for doing that. So people know that I'm this amazing husband or that I'm a really caring man for his wife. Imagine that's the only reason why I did these things, just so that people can see it. Would you say then that my love for my wife is authentic, that it's genuine? You would obviously say no. Of course not. It's so obvious. Then Jesus is saying, how come it's not obvious to you? When you give, you're making sure everybody sees it. And if you don't do it, you don't even care about giving. You just got to make sure that people see it. Who are you giving to then? You're just giving to yourself. You're not giving to God. How come you can't see this when it's so obvious? You already got your reward. You're a hypocrite. When you're doing things and you're saying, I'm going to give to God for the reason it's like, oh, because I'm a Christian. But you make sure everybody sees it. You put a trumpet in front of you. Put a, you put yourself on blast in, in a sense where it makes sure everybody in social media knows that you're doing this great thing for the poor. Then he goes, how can you not see it's not for God? It was for you. How can you not see that? That it's not authentic. And it's important that we see that. Why is it that it's completely different when it comes to God when we do acts of service? And Jesus is going, change your mind. Your mind is wrong. You always think, oh, yeah, yeah, of course, it's for my spouse. But when you really think about it, if it's not right with God, and this is what David did. When David slept with Bathsheba, he killed her former husband, Uriah. He had him killed. He put him in the front lines of war. That's like the worst thing that you could do if you have power. And I, I was talking with Esther about this, too, and, you know, just asking her uh, or asking other people, when, who's the worst person that you can think of? Who's the worst person in history? And a lot of people just, just out of, just, just think about it. A lot of people respond, Hitler, Hitler, or Mussolini, or something like that. That's the worst person. That's the most evil person. If I go, who's the most evil person? Why is that? Isn't it because even though this person was evil, this person had power? This person had power, so even though that evil may not be as evil as you, because you also say bad things, there was a time where you were racist, maybe you still are, and things like that, but you don't have the power to exact that hatred or that evil. And when someone has that power and, and exercises it, that person becomes even extra evil. But David did that. He saw some lady. He's like, wow, she's amazing, she's hot, she's naked, I'll keep it in my mind, plays it on his head. I need to get rid of this husband, puts him in the front lines of war, kills him, sleeps with her. It's like the worst thing ever because he was king. But when he got caught, meaning God, you can't hide things from God. Nathan, the prophet came and was like, this is what you did. 
and God knows your sin, this is how we responded in Psalm 51, is it only against you have I sinned? How can we say that? How can anybody say that? How can David say that? Didn't he do wrong against Uriah? He killed Uriah. Didn't he do wrong against Uriah's whole family? Like, they lost a son. He was like a general in the army. He was a big deal. That's how you get your living. That's how you get your name passed down. That's how you have a legacy. Erased it just because of this one-time lust. He took Bathsheba and she became pregnant. Now everybody's going to know how she became pregnant. Every time they looked at her son, this is what, this, this is what they're going to think of. And he just, that's a huge wrong. But when he prays, he goes, only against you have I sinned. What's the meaning behind it? Because if my vertical relationship isn't right, then all my horizontal relationships become messed up. The most important thing that we have to recognize is that my vertical relationship with God is right. And this is what Jesus is teaching us. How do you become righteous? What is righteousness? It's your relationship with God. That's why everything else pales under comparison because everything is about God. And if my vertical relationship is right, then guess what? My horizontal relationships start making sense. And I truly can start loving my spouse, loving my brother, loving my sister, loving my mother, loving my father, loving my children the way I should. But if my vertical relationship is wrong, this is what David recognized. If it's wrong, then everything else goes wrong. Because you know, what's the big deal? I'll just look at her a little bit longer. Let's keep the screen on a little bit longer. Click a few more times a little bit longer. Because what we don't understand is my vertical relationship is at stake when I do these things. And whenever I do them, I should remember God because it is about a relationship. Authenticity. When I talk about authenticity, it's about a relationship. How is your relationship with God? And this is what Jesus is talking about. This is what he's challenging his listeners. When you give, is it righteous giving? Meaning, do you have a right relationship with the Lord when you give to the poor? Not if you give. When you give, of course. But if not, then what are you really doing? What are you really doing? Are you really giving as God has commanded you? Or are you only padding your own self-image, your own reputation? And it's, it's, a, it's a really difficult thing, I think, in this time. When I was younger, my dad would tell me this, and I always kept it, and I see how important it is for every human being. He said, you know, if you lose something, let's say you lose a car, you know, it's, it's going to be rough. Um, I don't know, just random example. Let's say someone damaged your car, took off the windshield, whatever it is, right? Imagine someone did that. It's, it's rough, but you know what? You could work for it again. It's 40 bucks. Uh, depending on what you get paid in your job, you work an hour or half an hour, and you get that back. Uh, you pay your tithe, you pay your taxes, whatever, to the government, and then you put it back. One of the most difficult things to build back is your reputation. So my dad would teach me that as a younger person. He's like, one of the most difficult things that you will ever uh, have when it comes to recouping is reputation. So don't mess with it. Don't mess with other people's reputations and don't mess with your own reputation. 
And I get it. We live in a society where reputation is almost everything. There's like Black Mirror episodes on TV or Twilight Zone episodes that you would have seen if you saw the older versions of how, you know, how people see you and now we have like points and they actually started doing that weird thing where um, in China, in one of the provinces in China, where if you walk like an elderly lady down the street, then you get a few points on your character card. They actually are doing that, which is, that's crazy. But uh, they actually are doing that. But if that's all you cared about, that's a rough life. And I get it. The world wants to make sure, like, if they look at you, they look at your resume. They look at your character card. They look at what your social media presence is like. And, may, that, that, and so you're like, yeah, this, this is how I have to live. Everything has to be about my self-image. And Jesus is destroying that. He's saying if everything is about your self-image, you're not giving to God. Your relationship with God is not authentic. And you are not righteous. And that's a huge statement that we have to understand if we're going to go to the rest of these verses together. And next week, uh, Pastor Paul is going to take on the righteous prayer or praying in a righteous manner. And then the week after, we're going to talk about fasting. But let's get this right first. If our relationship with God is not authentic, then there is trouble in every area of our lives this is why we recognize this and we call it sin because the bible calls that sin if my relationship is not right with god i am in sin and these spiritual disciplines that we have is just to make sure that it's fostering a good relationship, maintaining a healthy relationship. If I have a good relationship with my spouse, then yeah, buying her flowers, buying her dinner, and doing these things on her birthday is good because it maintains and fosters and builds that relationship. And that's what you have to do. If you have a relationship with God, make sure it's authentic and make sure it's good, make sure it exists but what if you have zero relationship? What if your sin pulled you so far apart that you're not even on speaking terms? You are estranged. You are completely separated. You are divorced. What if that's the case? Then buying her flowers, buying her dinner, and all these things don't matter at all because my relationship has already been strained. And this is what God is saying. The Bible is showing us that if my relationship is strained, then what's, what are you going to do? You can't do things. My relationship with God is strained. How? Because of sin. If you are a sinner, you are separated from God because God is holy, meaning God is not of sin. He does not have sin in any, any part of his being. So if you are a sinner, then you are separated from God. And this is what Jesus has done for us on the cross. He was treated like a sinner, though he was perfect and he was holy and he was pure. And because Jesus was treated like a sinner, we are treated like we are righteous, even though we are defiled, we are depraved. If we really had power, I really wonder if you continue to strain your relationship with the Lord, how different you would be from Hitler. On the cross, Jesus was treated like a sinner so that we can be treated 
like we are righteous. So Jesus endured on our behalf what we should have been treated like. And we have been given what he lived. He lived a perfectly righteous life. How did he righteously give? He gave not just the tenth. He gave everything he had. And it was toward God. No one knew when he was next to him. They're like, oh, okay, he didn't do it so that people would revere him. In fact, people hated him for saying these things. It was complete opposite. It was just like he was saying, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. It was that, it, and then he gave so completely that people were flabbergasted. Why would you do these things? Even to the point where Peter would rebuke him. That's not going to happen to you, Jesus. And Jesus responded, get behind me, Satan. Man, that's, that's a, that's a, if, if, someone, if someone said that to you, you'd be like, what? But that's exactly, imagine the Son of God saying that. Because this is what he came to do. He came to give. And he gave to us his life. And now because we've been given his life, we can also give. Don't you see that? Now because he's given us this righteous status, now when I buy flowers, it's good because my relationship isn't estranged anymore. Now when I buy dinner, it's good because my relationship isn't strained anymore. In fact, it's a good relationship. It's a righteous relationship. That's why now when I give, it's a good thing. How do we know that when we give, it's a good thing? It's because we have been covered by Jesus' righteousness, his good relationship with the Father. That's what we've been given. That's why we give all glory to God as we give. As we give, it's not about, mm, let me count the pennies. We cheerfully give and say, let's give unto God. It's not 10%. It's not 23%. It's not 30%. We give because God gave us everything. And this is how we are to give to all those that God tells us to take care of. And especially the poor. Especially the poor. Who are the poor people in your life that you see? And every time you walk by someone, and I really want to say this for those of us that travel to Manhattan or the city, and then you take the subway. Every time you see a panhandler or a beggar, what goes in your heart? Do you honestly think, oh, it's my duty to give to this person? Or do you think other things? Do you think, oh, um, what, what, what's he going to do with this money? Is he, isn't he going to spend it on drugs and kill himself and start doing this? In fact, God makes no mention about how the poor would use the money. But God just says, give. Is that the first thought that comes to you? Because we were terrible, terrible sinners. Everything that we did was terrible, and yet God gave his life for us. So we entrust God as we give that he would use these things to build his kingdom. And he has. Has he not? Hasn't he taken worthless rags of sinners and built a church for his glory? Hasn't he built this church so that we give him praise, so that we do these righteous things like giving? So when we give, we trust that God will do his work. That's how we can give so freely. And so when sinners came to account and found Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they would give everything. One story that stays 
with me still is when I heard that there was this man who was just driving on the street, and in this radio program, he was listening. He just happened to be listening to a sermon, and in, through, through the sermon, he started. He's like, "Oh, Jesus is my Lord and Savior." He recognized it in his heart. That means the Holy Spirit did a work in his heart while he was driving. This is why I know God is amazing, good, and um, and immediately he needed to respond. How did he respond? He jumped out of the car, took everything that he had from his pocket, all his cash and everything that was of worth, and gave it to the beggar that was on the street. He had to give because he realized he's been given something so precious, more than anything his pockets could amount to. And this is why we are also to give. How can we give? We can give because we know that we have been given everything. So that's why we don't give like, oh, you know, if I give this, then this is one minus of this thing or this uh, portion of the budget. So if I give this, this is like 10%, so I only have 90%. But when I start giving now, I know that I have an eternal father who has an infinite amount of resources, so I just start giving. And this is the attitude that we should give with. Continue to give knowing that God will be with you and bless you. And this is why this, give, this uh, command of tithing also comes with a promise. It's not just so that he makes, he just wants, I'm not saying this. And a lot of times people say this, um, or in a church, when we talk about tithing, a lot of pastors invite another preacher because they don't want to talk about, it's an uncomfortable subject. But it's not because of that. It's God is showing us that as we continue to mimic him and act like him, he's the one that continues to support you and bless you and give to you. So that's why we cannot leave this place without thinking we must apply what we've been given, what we've been taught. Since we've been given everything, what should we give now? Only a tenth? We've been given everything. What should we give now? And I hope that you can reflect on that, how you can give, what you can give, but most importantly, why we can give. We can give because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And as we reflect on that, I pray that your lives will start changing. Your attitudes will start changing. Your minds start changing. And it's not giving because it's a religious duty. You're giving now because you love God. And my relationship is authentic because of what Jesus has done for us. Let's pray.